Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Um, doing well, Justin. How about yourself? I mean, uh, given the jet lag and uh, the ever-growing amount of bad news, uh, IndyCar-wise, coming out, uh, you know, holding up pretty well, Kirby. Don't let IndyCar get you down. I... I, I would have been dead buried long ago if I did. <laughs> Curb, it's going to be a short one today, mercifully, for everyone. And news of the day is is that IndyCar, uh, four years hence from announcement, is going to drop the 2.4-liter hybrid engine that's been much talked about coming in 2024. And they're going back to the 2.2-liter engine, which they've been using for the last 10-odd years or so, and going to mate that with the hybrid system instead. I'm interested in your opinions from more the you know 30,000-foot level. What, what's the true significance of this to IndyCar? Well, the series can point to uh, growing car counts, TV ratings that are creeping up ever so slowly every year as positive signs. Um, I, you can't help but feel like they're on shakier ground than ever, or for shakier ground than they've been on for quite some time. Can you? I, I read I read these these articles today, and in particular, I read the quotes from the Honda and Chevrolet guys, and it kind of takes you back to you know that period there in the cart when they went from three manufacturers to one in about a year and a half, right? Like they seem to lose the confidence of the manufacturers. Toyota's gone, Honda's gone. All of a sudden, if Ford doesn't keep them going, then they're they're out of business. You get the feeling that they're losing the confidence of the manufacturers again here. And uh, I think that's very worrisome. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step back and just say I don't think the average IndyCar fan or even the above average IndyCar fan is going to notice whether that's a 2.2 liter engine or a 2.4 liter engine. I always thought that was just a lot of expense being spent for in the wrong place. I'd much rather see them doing new chassis uh, <clears throat> you know, for all the reasons we have discussed on here a thousand times. But, you know, they went after this engine thing. I understand the hybrid aspect of it, um, you know, as far as the manufacturers are concerned. But I think you're, you're right. The overall arching theme here is that, look, Forget about the the two manufacturers that are in there, uh, Honda and Chevy, you know, and and maybe them losing faith. But man, it would have to scare the hell out of anybody even thinking about getting into this mess. These guys announced a, a engine formula four years ago, let their engine manufacturer spend a bunch of money on it, and then pull the plug on it. I think it was Chevy, right, that did a test last year, and they got done. They said we could go racing tomorrow. So they've obviously fully developed their engine, and I assume. You know, Honda's not far behind. So you got to believe that somebody somewhere in those two organizations is not happy about all the money that's gone into these new engines that's now going to be put on a shelf. Second, I guess, is their selected hybrid manufacturer has spit the bit and um, not able to come through for them. And Honda and Chevrolet are having to come in and save the day and focus their remaining engine dollars on fixing IndyCar's hybrid problem rather than, you know, spend that money on on these 2.4 liter engines anymore. Not only are they putting engines on the shelves in which they've invested millions of dollars, 
they're having to clean up IndyCar's mess. You know, you pointed it out earlier, and I read it in the article uh, since we talked, where one of those engine manufacturers said, look, we're not the series. We're here to market through the series. And right now they got to feel like they're the series, or at least half of it. They're they're expected to, you know, market through the series with these engines, and they take a loss on the engine leases and all that kind of thing. They're expected to spend a lot of money on advertising. They're expected to uh, sponsor you know, commercials, races. sponsor races. Is this the IndyCar series or is it the Chevy slash Honda series? And, yeah. Um, or the Chevy slash Honda slash Firestone series, right? I mean, those three are expected to do a hell of a lot for the series that the series doesn't seemingly want to be able to want to do or be able to do for themselves. It's not a good day for them. And, it's not a good and, day for them. And, and, you know, there may be more than already announced, right? I mean, I think – you understand it logically from all these standpoints, but that doesn't make it better. When we were talking about marketing and one or two shows ago and, you know, I think, you know, if you read uh, books or articles about Roger Penske, kind of the consistent theme is under promise and over deliver. And in this case, they've over promised and not delivered at all. And that's, he can't be, he can't feel good about that. Now, no. Some of these, some of these promises started before he bought the series. And since he bought the series, there's a pandemic and all that crap. But right now they got egg on their face. As you say, maybe people wouldn't know the difference in engines. But once you said you're going to do it and you've been talking about it for four years and now you pull the plug on it, it's egg on your face, whether people can tell the difference in the engine or not. I would hope the question that's being asked now at very high levels in that organization is, is this, why is Formula One going from strength to strength, uh, NASCAR seemingly uh, stabilizing and now turning turn the corner and going from strength to strength, talking about going overseas and so forth. IMSA mm -hmm. picking up you know one manufacturer after the next, successfully getting uh, integrating a, a whole plethora of new formulas into their system, and IndyCar isn't doing any of that successfully. Right. And I, I, you know, what's what? Where are we going wrong? I think you and I have been badgering on the marketing, which we think is subpar and has been subpar. And we'll get to what's happened there in the last couple of weeks um, as well. We've been badgering on about the engine's fine, new engine was fine, but the, the chassis is what they really need to be focusing on because the thing's been Frankenstein so much. The feeling they're putting out, whether it's true or not, is they're on shakier ground than ever. I agree with you. I think that's exactly the feeling they're managing to put out there. Well, remember how excited Penske was, I don't know how long ago it was now, a year ago, to get these manufacturers signed up for you know, another contract, right? I don't remember how long the contract is. You know, right now, if that contract was coming up in a year or two, I'd be pretty nervous about those guys. If, you know, if I didn't have a whole lot of time to kind of mend the relationship or to to make good on some of these problems they've been called on to help you solve. Marketing is kind of the original sin though, isn't it? I mean, when you read these articles today about the cause of all this, the hybrid manufacturer is a secondary cause, but the original cause was these guys expected to be in a three manufacturer environment. Yeah. And IndyCar's been unable to attract that third manufacturer for 10 years now. The reason is nobody else sees the value of marketing through IndyCar. And they haven't been able to create that value for 10 years. Again, everybody's got high hopes for Penske, and he's had to go with the pandemic and all this stuff. But it doesn't change the fact they are where they are because they have not been able to create any value. Kirby, as usual, you uh, 
you get it down to the brass tacks there and that's it. You're right. It is marketing focused. And, you know, if the, if the marketing was right of the, the, the on-track product, which is good. I think we, we, we've never said the on-track product is bad. Um, no. Then it, it really does come down to the marketing. And to that end, um, we asked the question last podcast, who, who's actually in charge of IndyCar marketing? We weren't really sure. And I asked you, Curve, I endeavored you with finding out who it was. But you didn't have to research very hard because she got canned in the, in the, in the interim. S.J. Lutke. And um, apparently she was a former Nike uh, marketing person. I, I guess uh, the only thing I'll say uh, is that um, whatever she was tasked with, uh, I give her a F or at least a D or maybe maximum a D on all levels. Social media, uh, fantasy racing, just general promotion. Uh, I don't know if she's involved or was involved in like – with NBC as far as like when stuff's going to air, when the races can be all that kind of, I mean, I, I'm not going to put that on her probably wasn't under her purview. Um, right. But whatever, uh, just horrid. I think we all agree that you, you've got the best kept secret in racing, which is IndyCar, which is, is, is really is like the, their on track product is, you know, probably the best in, in all of racing. And uh, they've just watched other – they've just let other series uh, just eat their breakfast, eat their lunch, and dinner. It's As IndyCar fans, it's, it's been hard to watch. I, I think, you know, putting the light today's news, it's even, you know, more difficult to swallow. But, look, Herb, uh, what can you say? I mean, maybe things got to get worse before they get better. The competitive environment for IndyCar has never been more fierce. You know, we can talk about these 10 years between since Lotus left and they had three manufacturers for a year. But before Liberty bought F1, they weren't really hardly doing competition to IndyCar at all. I mean, uh, Bernie was focused on Europe and and going to the Middle East and Asia to gather big fees there. But he didn't care if they had in the United States. I don't think um, he didn't mind having one, but it wasn't as a priority to him as well as other people. But once they got purchased by an American media company, uh, that all changed. And, and IndyCar seemingly been happy just to say the rising tide raises all boats. And we're going to be you know, now with this F1 Academy in Las Vegas that's focused on uh, providing American open-wheel drivers a path to Formula One. If they don't think all these series are coming out to eat their lunch, then they're crazy. I'll get to that in a second. Um, but I, I, I'd like to make this point is that kind of before Liberty took over F1 and before, before Drive to Survive, the wisdom out there, the, the pr- conventional wisdom out there was that racing as a sport in general was shrinking, right? That the demographic was getting older, that right. people were, that the, the younger generation didn't care about racing, blah, 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 blah. Right. Well, and there wasn't a car culture for young people either. I mean, uh, correct. Yeah. Right. right. And, and that's all been. Uh, through Drive to Survive, Formula, uh, Formula One, um, and even IMSA, I'll say to some degree, that's all been turned on its head. Okay. Mm-hmm. Even na- even NASCAR, I hate to say it, but even NASCAR, right? That's all been turned on its head. And now, and 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 again, I mean, is anybody at IndyCar like looking at that and saying, oh, well, okay, maybe all these assumptions we made aren't correct? That actually we could do something. That maybe we actually should look at maybe going, you know going overseas again 
maybe we should look at getting a you know a new chassis maybe we should look at you know a, a drive to survive like series um instead of you know kind of talking about it for four years it, it's interesting to me and and, the, and i do want to talk about this academy this formula academy because that at this point you know if i think i'll explode if if i hear mark miles say well we we think it's great for me what formula one's doing a rising tide raising boats because these guys they've they put the marker out curb we're going after you what's left of your business yeah and i mean they can have the drivers i don't care you better protect your sponsors i mean that's that's what they want they want your sponsors and then you know they want your drivers won't have anywhere to race anymore you know you you watch these formula one races anymore and they got more and more domestic american brands on placards around the uh, around the side of the tracks and on the cars and for for many multiples of what it would cost them to put money into an indy car team or a race and the reason is because that's where the energy is and that's where the those people are investing money today to make money tomorrow and i know any car probably doesn't feel like it has that kind of money to invest but i would imagine they need to think long and hard about starting to do it and i think from a formula standpoint you know like they put their academy in and you know if the net result of that is they pick up the indy 500 in a you know, as a side deal on it, even better, right? As far right. as they're concerned, or even better yet, if they bury it completely. Right. Maybe their F2 series will, will be on the former IndyCar series or something, but um, you better uh, start fighting back. Yeah, and and stop calling them your friends. You know, I mean, we saw the whole Colton Herta thing play out with the super license points and stuff. I mean. <laughs> you know, if they put their own academy here, why why not just give any car zero super license points? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, they're not just going to put academy in Las Vegas. They're going to put a three hundred million dollar Formula One experience in Las Vegas. They're making their presence felt in a lot of a lot of big ways. You kind of hate to end the year like this on such a down note with IndyCar curb, but I mean, uh, you know, we've been kind of hitting the tape, pounding the table about this for a little bit now is like, mm-hmm. when are we going to start seeing those guys wake up a little bit as far as what's going on? Cause it just looks like they're always just behind, you know, several steps behind the game as a businessman. It's frustrating for me to watch. It's just like, wow, I would be, I would be in DEF CON five now, uh, trying to make things happen. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, NASCAR is coming to take away your gateway race, right? Um, NASCAR is going to spend $50 million to do a road ra- a street race in Chicago and go after all your fans that want to go to Elkhart Lake or Milwaukee or yeah. Iowa. I mean, you know, there's... And NASCAR is going to go overseas. They're going to go overseas. Yeah. Well, we don't want to go overseas. Okay. Then NASCAR will go and make show off American racing to whoever wants to see it. Yeah, and there's all these secondary markets overseas you know we're, we're which would be dying for a, a race of this level right i right. mean you know formula one can only have so many races so you know there's all these tracks all over europe that um in particular uh but south uh, south america and other places as well all these kind of you know, I, i'm not going to call them b markets but you know they're they're not getting the formula one race right that right I think are just ripe for the picking there and or at least to look at. But I mean, any car has been very clear. They're not even looking. It's frustrating. I think that maybe underlying all this is maybe the, the finances or the money in IndyCar and behind IndyCar 
is is maybe scary in, in its paltriness. We're sitting here spending their money left and right. I'll, I'll never claim to be as good a businessman as Roger Penske. So um, take what we're saying for with a grain of salt. But from the outside looking in, it sure seems like IndyCar is trying to fight with one hand behind their back. And stop yeah. having races in the middle of the freaking day uh, where it's blazing <laughs> hot and nobody can pass. Sorry. But, yeah, but, but you know, to your point there, I mean, I, I'd rather stay in this time zone, you know, Central America, South America, than I would go to, to uh, you know, Europe or Asia. But uh, you got French drivers, you got English drivers, you got, you know, you're going to have three Swedish drivers this year, right? Dutch, right? You got uh, Dutch with uh, VK and, and I'm, um, Spanish driver with Palau. I mean, I, you, I would think you could generate some interest. And uh, you got that. Connor Daly from the Bahamas with Bitcoin. There you go. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I know it costs money to pay for IndyCar to come over there, but still got to be a fraction of the cost to put on a Formula One race. So you would think you could make it work somewhere. I would at least like to hear them trying. And maybe they are, you know, but they're like a, was it like a duck on water, you know, that they're right, you know, really, right. really, you know, really, you know, because I'm just looking at the top side of the water and doesn't seem to be anything going on other than, yeah, we got great racing. Sure. Hopefully they can pick off some smart uh, marketing type from one of these other series that wants to strike out on his or her own. But uh, unfortunately, at this point, we didn't have to say that we'll believe it when we see it. Kurt, what do you make of... um? Not to to switch the subject from this uh, coal and IndyCar stocking to another coal piece of coal. Um, what do you make of uh, the Iowa race? Kind of almost like tripling the cost. Seems like maybe you're gonna get more uh, concert fans than you're gonna get racing fans. Um, I think it's a hell of a big increase. It kind of, you know, you were you were speaking about fan abuse uh, one or two shows back, and and how they kind of jerk around the. Start times and all that with uh, the Gateway race in particular. Uh, this seems to fall into that same category. I can only guess that High V doesn't want to quite underwrite that expense to the extent they did it last year, um, or IndyCar doesn't want to, or some combination thereof. But I think you're taking quite a risk um, with a, a still uh, infant, you know, young event still trying to establish itself, start charging that kind of rates for uh, for the event. Yeah, I, I I'm of two minds about it, I guess. Um, on one side, I think the you know having the concerts and kind of the big names coming in, which I'm sure was very expensive, is kind of that at least you're trying something new type of thinking that we kind of advocate on this show. Right. Um, so I don't want to sit there and uh, diminish that and, and say it's all wrong because maybe it isn't. Um, and I guess we'll see and who shows up. Right. Look, if you bring a bunch of new people in that happen to see an Indy cars as a race as a sideshow to a concert. I, frankly, at this point, I'm not really opposed to that at all. A lot of those guys out at the formula one races, you know, that's a sideshow to drive to the race is a sideshow to drive to survive as far as I'm concerned. Right. Um, so I'm not really opposed to that. I, I assume they've done their homework and figured that's what was the right price to charge. Sure. Um, sure. So, I mean, you have to, I don't know how much the outgoing marketing chief was in, involved in this uh, process, but, um, uh, but anyways, um, so you can assume that they, that there were reasons for it. I'm not going to sit there and say it's 
terrible. It does seem like for such a nascent event that wasn't sold out, you know, it was crowded, but it wasn't sold out. Um, it seems like, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of a big roll of dice. But maybe they've done their homework and realized that the the, the concert draw is gonna is gonna get them there. And uh, I'm not all up in arms about it. I think if uh, you know, I'll be happier than anybody if they fill the stands and had people paying three times as much. To sure. me, that would be quite an achievement. At the bottom of all this is like, you know, IndyCar has been through some, it's been a couple of horrid decades. Yeah. Um, you know? yeah. I mean, it really has. I mean, ever since 96, um, it has been horrid, you know, with just competing interests, uh, you know, and different ownerships and just an undirected, horrid mess. And I think when Penske took over, everybody was hoping that, you know, it would finally start going in a, you know, a singular direction. And it's early days into Penske's tenure here. I, you know, as we've discussed, I don't particularly like what I'm hearing out of his mouth about, like you said, the the marketing director was hired from a different era. Um, this uh, engine formula is also from a different era. That started four years ago, right? Right. 18, I think they said. Yeah. You know, maybe a lot of this is just legacy stuff that needs to be cleaned up and it's not going to be pretty um, to do it. And uh, I think if you're going to if you're going to be a glass half full guy, that's what you're saying. It's like, look, none of this is really a Penske deal. It's it's more about, you know, something he inherited as part of the deal. In some ways, that's fair. But the the world, the racing world is passing IndyCar by. Yeah. And I guess I guess what I'd like to hear him is say is hear him say that, you know, um, maybe he's saying that behind closed door and maybe saying that to partners and so forth, like, Hey, give me some time here. This is the direction we're headed. You know, maybe all that's occurring, but for right now, for the, for the person standing outside, it's God, it's frustrating to, to watch. Oh really yes. Uh, just, uh, we're going to be a dead horse a little bit, but go back to those comments, those quotes from Honda and Chevy, those didn't sound like the quotes of somebody that was reassured about the direction of IndyCar. I think we'll end it there, Kerb. I think we'll end it there. <laughs> Crowd on a positive note. Kaboom. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I haven't asked my stupid Formula One question yet, so can I ask that real quick? Sure. Uh, Sebastian Vettel has been getting tons of love um, upon his retirement at the end of this Formula One season. And he had, I think, four dominant seasons with Red Bull um, yep. way back when. Yep. When Red Bull was the dominant car. Yep. Um is Sebastian Vettel truly deserving of all this love? I mean, you know, you're going to hear different things from the different people, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're asking me my opinion, I, I would say no. Okay. No. I think he he was in the right place, the right time of the car. He, the, he, he had a car developed around his particular driving style. Mm-hmm. Uh, that also happened to be dominant. I think those particular years, you know, he he was getting far more credit than he probably deserved. And you take those years out of his career, then yeah, it wouldn't be the love level wouldn't be nearly what it is, right? Take those years out and use Mark Webber. Right. Could be, yeah, yeah, you know, who, you know, famously. Uh, did not get along particularly well with uh, said individual. That's the thing about Formula One is that, I mean, 
if you ask me, is Lewis Hamilton, or, you know, one of the greatest drivers in the world, maybe one of the greatest drivers of all time, I'm going to have to say yes. Right. Right. Um, but. Wow. How much of that really was the car? Again, it's something that makes Formula One interesting in that way. I mean, you know, in, yeah. in, in kind of a gossipy way, um, you could also say conversely, that's what makes IndyCar great is because you kind of know the answers to those questions. Particularly in recent years, I mean. More so, right, more so. Um, yeah, but, you know, racing is a collision of, of uh, opportunity, luck, right? Um, and, 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 and ability timing. to take advantage of those things. Yeah, uh, opportunity, luck, and timing, and preparation. I mean, I, it's it's a combination of all those things. And, you know, we had Richie Hearn on a while ago. You know, that that's that's a story of, like, bad timing, right? Right, um, sure. Good Good preparation, but bad timing. There's an element of luck to motorsports that I think will never go away. It's one of the, the things that does make it interesting, but but you know, I think that will always be there in motorsports. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Twitter at Hero IndyCar at H I R O IndyCar. And uh, do we have a sponsor this week? South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts. Mention this podcast to Saul, and he will give you a generous discount. See? You create value, and the sponsors flock to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> maybe, so. we should, maybe we should fire our marketing director. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. All right, Kerb. All Let's right. Call it uh, thanks, everybody. And... Um, what do you think? Are we done for the calendar year? It's a distinct possibility, although I somehow think we'll probably shoehorn one more in. Okay. Something to look forward to under your uh, in your stockings, folks. There you go. So, all right. Talk to you guys later. Thank you. Thank you.